The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Hi, everyone. Good to be here with you all. Start out by talking a little bit, a little bit about about views. There's a a sutta called the Agi Vachagota Sutta, which is to Vachagota on fire. Vachagota was um, um, was somebody who encountered encountered the Buddha um, and. I'll, I'll read the I'll read the sutta here. I have heard that on one occasion the Blessed One was staying at Savati at Jetta's Grove, Anatta Pindika's monastery. Then the wanderer Vachagota went to the Blessed One and, on arrival, exchanged courteous greetings with him. After an exchange of friendly greetings and courtesies, he sat to one side. As he was sitting there, he asked the Blessed One. How is it, Master Gotama? Does Master Gotama hold the view? The cosmos is eternal. Only this is true. Anything otherwise is worthless. The Buddha replied, no. And then he, he follows on with questions about all kinds of views. The cosmos is not eternal. The cosmos is finite. The cosmos is infinite. The soul and the body are the same. The soul and the body are not the same. Um, and Pachigota says how is it Master Gotama when Master Gotama is asked if he holds the view the cosmos is eternal and on and on he lists all the views um, he says no in each case seeing, seeing what drawback then is Master Gotama thus entirely dissociated from each of these ten positions the Buddha says, Vacha, the positions that the cosmos is eternal is a thicket of views, a wilderness of views, a contortion of views, a writhing of views, a fetter of views. It is accompanied by suffering, distress, despair, and fever. And it does not lead to disenchantment, dispassion, cessation, to calm, direct knowledge, full awakening, unbinding. And he, continu- he continues and says that about all of the views. And then Vachagota says, Does Master Gotama have any position at all? The Buddha replies, A position, Vacha, is something that a Tathagata, that, that's how the Buddha referred to himself, was a, a Tathagata, which means you know, like one who has thus gone. Um, a, t- a position, Vacha, is something that a Tathagata has done away with. What a Tathagata sees is this, such is form, such its origination, such its disappearance, such is feeling, such its origination, such its disappearance, such is perception, such are fabrications, such is consciousness, its origination, its disappearance. 
Because of this, I say, a Tathagata, with the ending, fading away, cessation, renunciation, and relinquishment of all construings, all excogitations, all eye-making and mind-making and obsessions with conceit, is, through lack of clinging and sustenance, released. He's saying that through the relinquishment, through the the lack of clinging, which is the sustenance, all eye-making, mind-making, and obsessions with conceit is released. But, Master Gotama, the monk whose mind is thus released, where does he reappear? He's asking, like, if, if you haven't, if you're not, if you haven't taken birth into an identity, then where have you gone? He says, reappear, Vacha, doesn't apply. In that case, Master Gotama, he does not reappear. He does not reappear, Vacha, does not, does not apply. Um, he go, this kind of continues on for a while and um, and says, uh, Vacha says, I'm confused, I'm befuddled. And the Buddha says, of course you're befuddled, Vacha. Of course you're confused. Um, deep, Vacha, is this phenomenon, hard to see, hard to realize, tranquil, refined, beyond the scope of conjecture, subtle, to be experienced by the wise. For those with other views, other practices, other satisfactions, other aims, other teachers, it is difficult to know. That being the case, I will now put some questions to you. Answer as you see fit. What do you think, Vacha? If a fire were burning in front of you, would you know this fire is burning in front of me? Yes. And suppose someone were to ask you, Vacha, that this fire burning in front of you, dependent on what is it burning? Thus, thus asked, how would you reply? I would reply, this fire is burning in front of me, is burning dependent on grass and timber as its sustenance. If the, if the fire burning in front of you were to go out, would you know that this fire burning in front, of, in front of me has gone out? Yes. And suppose someone were to ask you, um, this fire that has gone out in front of you, in which direction from here has it gone? East, west, north, south? Thus asked, how would you reply? That doesn't apply, Master Gotama. Any fire burning dependent on a sustenance of grass and timber being unnourished from having consumed that sustenance and not being offered any other is classified simply as out or unbound. Even so, Vacha, on any physical form by which one describing the Tathagata would describe him, that the Tathagata has abandoned its root destroyed made like a palmyra stump, deprived of the conditions of development, not destined for future arising, freed from the classification of form, Bacha, the Tathagata is deep, boundless, hard to fathom, like the sea. Reappears doesn't apply. Does not reappear doesn't apply. Both does and doesn't reappear does not apply. And neither reappears nor does not reappear does not apply. And he continues on with each of the five aggregates. He started there with physical form and goes through any feeling, any perception, any fabrication, any consciousness. So the, when he's going through the five 
aggregates here, form, feeling, perception, fabrications, consciousness. Those, those are the, those are the called the five aggregates, and that's one of the one of the primary ways that the totality of experience is described, or is one of the lens through which the totality of our experience is often described in the suttas in these early early teachings. Um, so this this part this part here is really key to me, um, and if, and, ha- and really is like has a lot of instruction and teaching in, in how we can how we can practice. Um, so he's saying what a Tathagata sees is this. Such is form, such its origination, such its disappearance, such is feeling, such its arising, such its disappearance, such is perception, fabrications, consciousness, pretty much anything in experience that we can identify. Um, Fabrications is a really broad um, category that covers pretty much anything happening in the mind, um, pretty much any, um, any mental activity or mind states. Um, so, so the Buddha is saying that he's, he perceives form and feeling or feeling tone, like pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. That's that's the what, that's what's being referred to in feeling there, not like emotions. That would be more like fabrications in this in this um, kind of categorization. Fabrications, consciousness, perception. So seeing experience in terms of the five aggregates and seeing their 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 arising and passing. Um, and seeing that they're that they're arising and passing are is conditioned that he's pointing to the that that is what that is the seeing or the understanding that that has cut through the that has that has cut through clinging um, which which he says is the sustenance for all eye making mind making and obsessions with conceit um, and that's a really it's a really beautiful and powerful passage to me um, with the ending fading away cessation renunciation and relinquishment of all construings all excogitations all eye making and mind making and obsessions with conceit through lack of through lack of clinging which is the sustenance is released um, so how much of our experience is how much of our experience and how we view our lives in the world is is our con- these these kind of archaic words construings and excogitations so like w- what we the stories that we tell ourselves about about the world or about our lives um the meaning that we assign um to experiences um the views and beliefs that we have around experiences and views and beliefs in this in this um in the frame of the five aggregates would just be fabrications or um, um, so so actually the invitation would be to see our views and beliefs simply as as conditioned arisings like that are very natural conditioned arisings in our mind um, 
And when we see them as, as conditioned experience that come and go and don't have some, don't have, have, really don't have permanence to them and don't have any um, kind of innate reality um, like the then that cuts through that cuts through a lot of a lot of the, the ways that we cause suffering to ourselves and others um, in our lives through through clinging to our views and our beliefs as being as being true um, There are many layers of of conditioning and um, many layers of views and beliefs and delusion um, that we all have in our in our experience in our in our minds. Like um, there is some of the more like subtle and universal level beliefs and views and um and and delusions that that we all that we all have that that oh that's a, a lot of what what dharma practice and and these and the, these early teachings are pointing to views around permanence um views around self views around what can what can be a source of lasting satisfaction and happiness, um, and those are the views that that start to get um, actually our our minds start to actually gather more more accurate and detailed information through through direct observation of our experience. These views have to do with our own experience, like um, the the view or the belief that that experience is, is solid or constant, or the the view or uh, the belief that some aspect of our experience is me or is mine, um, which is a huge, huge uh, just some of the deepest deepest conditioning we have as humans, I think. Um, and and what what our views about whether experience can be a lasting a lasting source of satisfaction or happiness um, we don't we, we don't necessarily see that it can't be because we we don't see the first the first um, we don't see that experience is really unreliable and uncontrollable and ungovernable and that it's changing way too way too rapidly to actually be a source of lasting satisfaction um, we have we're conditioned on um, we're conditioned to, to, be, to believe to hold views on many many levels like our societal our societal level conditioning views around gender around race views around um, value and how we have to be, how we should be in the world. We have fam- fam- family conditioning, like family culture, or wider, our wider societal culture level conditioning. Um, 
views around how, how it is or how it should be, um, how we should be, how the world should be, um, views about other people that, um, that when, when not recognized as views and as, as kind of conditioned and therefore not, not really ultimately true, um, cause a lot of suffering. Um, and so the, the five, the five aggregates are, they're usually actually referred to as the five aggregates subject to clinging. So they are the, the aspects of experience to which we tend to, to cling and to which we tend to, with which we tend to identify and create a sense of self. So we tend to create a sense of self based on our bodies. We identify with it with physical form, with our bodies. Um, and somewhere in the, in the, there's a, there are many suttas where the, where the Buddha talks about like, oh, if, if the body were self, we would be, we should be able to say, let my body be thus. And like, actually have some, actually be able to control the form of our body, which we don't. Um, we have some influence with the body as it's, as its own natural process. We can't stop, we can't stop the natural processes of the body, aging, illness, death. Um, and we tend to identify with, with pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral experiences, this, this feeling tone aspect of experience. Um, but again, that's not something we're, we're in control of at all either. Um, if we were, we, we would certainly, most of us, many of us would certainly choose to always have pleasant experience, but we don't. Um, that is also just very ephemeral and ungovernable and constantly shifting, constantly changing. And same with the process of perception, with mental fabrications, our our thoughts, our views, intentions that arise in our in our in our minds, emotions, um, habit patterns, um, mind states, uh, everything that falls falls under this category. Um, uh, mindfulness, mindfulness would be would be in this category as a, a sankara or a, um, a, a construction or a fabrication because it's a, it's a conditioned mind state. Um, I think there can be a tendency to identify with that quality of mind, that, that we're doing it, that we're um, in control of it, but it becomes very, very clear very quickly when we sit down and meditate that we cannot just be mindful all the time when we want to. Um, that is also a, a conditioned and natural process. Um, and the process of the process of knowing of or of recog- of experience being known in consciousness also is is the fifth. In um, the main the. The Buddha's main instructions on on mindfulness meditation is in the Satipatthana Sutta, 
and in 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 that in that teaching it's really clear that that we're not trying to that the the aim or the instruction is not to create pleasant or what we might think of as good or right mind mind states or experiences we're not trying to to create or get rid of any experiences um um in the in the there's there's the four the four what they call foundations of mindfulness in that teaching as body and and feeling tone um and mind states uh and then the fourth is dhammas which is like a broad category that includes mind objects and through the usually through the lens of the teachings um and and the the instruction is always to just recognize how it is when when the mind is 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 calm and concentrated you just know that the mind is kind is calm and concentrated when the mind is scattered and agitated we just know that the mind is scattered and agitated it doesn't say get rid of it and bring in calm and concentration it just says to to notice how it actually is um and in the in the fourth foundation the one on uh mind objects and dhammas um there's a passage that reads one abides contemplating mind objects as mind objects with respect to the four noble truths how do they do so here a practitioner knows as it really is this is suffering they know as it really is this is the origin of suffering they know as it really is this is the this is the cessation of suffering and they know as it really is this is the way of practice leading to the, to the cessation of suffering so this is but this is pointing to this particular part of the practice is that seeing actually starting to see our our practice through the lens of the four no, through starting to see our experience through the lens of the four noble truths is um is a a big part of what what is being cultivated and what's being pointed to in in skillful practice um so sim- being able so being able to recognize when there is suffering happening um and not immediately go into reactivity around it and trying to get rid of it and trying to change it um but actually just recognizing oh this is a moment of suffering suffering is is an innate part of the human experience. Um the first the first noble truth, the the four noble truths is one of the central central teachings and um the four the first noble truth is is that there is suffering. There is or or another another definition or another translation could be stress. There is stress. There is discord in experience. Um um so not trying to not trying to avoid avoid suffering in some in some kind of aversive way um but we're actually it's through opening to and learning about suffering and being interested in suffering that's actually the path to its eventual release it's to its actual eventual it's de- it's eventual decrease and complete release um the the part of how 
part of what is being learned um, is this kind of dis, this non-identification with experience. So we tend to identify with and react react to pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral experiences. Um, and this very receptive, non-reactive languaging and in the instructions given around just knowing how it is, knowing agitation, knowing when, it's, when the mind is calm, one knows that the mind is calm. When the mind is agitated, one knows that the mind is agitated. Um, we're not reacting in the same way um, to pleasant and unpleasant as if it as if it's has something to do with um, with me or who we are we when we identify with it and feel like it's it's us and who we are and that's how we're going to be in the future then we we tend to react um, but um this really simple um, really simple really one way of one way that it can feel is really humble and low to the ground and and, and just um, like a full acknowledgement and and full honesty with ourselves through being through um of recognizing and aligning with what's actually happening, recognizing recognizing what's happening in our experience, um, and and instead of trying to change it to make it to make it more pleasant, we actually are we're cultivating a sense of we're cultivating wisdom, um, the wisdom that's being that's spoken of in this in this practice or tradition is really wisdom about the nature of what's being experienced. Um, so it's, it's, it's understanding that experience is, is conditioned, that experience is natural, that experience comes and goes of its own accord, according to, to natural law, according to our conditioning. Um, that that we are not that we're not we're not guiding or directing or in control of or um, that we're not some fixed some fixed position or self to which it's happening or that's receiving it um, and that because experience is coming and going and um, is not in our control it's it's not it's not able to be a source of lasting happiness and satisfaction or in the ways that we normally think it can like if if I get the conditions lined up in my in my life then i'll then i'll then i'll then I'll finally be 
happy, at ease, relaxed. I'll be able to rest. You know, when I get whatever, whatever, whatever it is that we think is going to do it for us. Um, I think I think a lot of us, especially in this culture, this society, it's a lot of valuing around money. Um, when I get to a certain, when I get my finances to a certain place, or my my career, or my relationships, or or my body, or or whatever it is that that we think is going to do it for us, um, experience experience is really is actually really ephemeral and ungovernable. Like it's it's not going to stay pleasant all the time. It's just not it's not possible. Um, it's actually our 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 reactivity and um, it's it's the internal relationship to pleasant unpleasant experience that is a large part of a large part of of how we suffer and that's the level of it, the level of suffering that's being addressed um, and it's not actually a process that we have to make happen or um, you know we don't have to try to to get it or or make it happen or or make ourselves understand um, it's a really natural process um, that that happens as we we actually just gain we we're gathering it's like we're gathering information through the practice of observation as we're observing experience and getting getting to see how it actually works in real time directly which is often very different from our ideas about how our experience works um, or what, what's actually happening in our experience or the nature, the nature of our experience. Um, that's something that we, that we actually have to, to observe directly in experience in a really sustained way um, in order for some of those those views and delusions to start to lift um, the views and delusions about the nature of experience, and that that happens really naturally when when our minds get the information through direct observation, through mindfulness. Um, that those insights and, and the wisdom the wisdom that that cultivates um, arises really naturally through that process. Um, so it's not something that we we have to try to make happen. Um, the practice can be really simple, um, a real simple interest in what's actually happening now. What's actually, what is this? What is this experience? What's actually happening? Um, so going from our ideas about what's happening to, actual, to direct observation of moment-to-moment experience. Um, Checking out our relationship to experience, and as part of that too, seeing where where our our reactivity, um, just observing where our reactivity comes in and what impact that has when we when we're 
clinging or trying to get rid of experience or trying to hold on to pleasant experience, you actually have to see how those those conditioned responses tend to contribute to our suffering. And then we actually we have to see how when when there's more of a sense of of allowing or okayness or non-identification with experience in those moments that there's a deeper kind of of ease a deeper kind of peace and and relaxation and release You read a, a passage from Saito Tejaniya. Um, it's one of Andrea's main teachers. You may have heard her quote him a lot too. Whatever is happening in the mind, just let it be. The objects have nothing to do with you. They're not personal. The things that you know They're just happening. Everything that happens in the moment is simply a result of past causes and conditions. Because what you are experiencing now is just a result, it also means that you can't change this because you can't change the past. What you can do in the present moment is act, and your action will be to be mindful and to bring in right view. This will mold future events. So this is the work of a yogi. First to bring in right view, and then to maintain awareness. Often yogis come to me and ask, I'm stuck in my practice. What should I do? How should I continue? All I need say is, have right view and be mindful. Let any experience arise. This is just nature happening. Don't take it personally. We need to observe objectively, and from that we will learn. A learning process will unfold. That is the whole work of vipassana, or insight meditation a learning process. You're not trying to control your experience or make it go away. You're not trying to have a good experience or avoid a bad experience. You're just going to see what is happening now and see if you can stay with it. Your only work is to be continually aware. points to the simplicity of, of the, the practice, um, the simplicity of the task. Like, it can feel really complicated. Sometimes when, we're he- when we hear the teachings, there's all these lists, um, there's all these technical terms for things, but those are really descriptions of something that, that can be really simple and natural and, and close to the ground. Um, can be as simple as as being ourselves and knowing what it is to be ourselves, um, knowing what the experience of being human is, and bringing interest, curiosity, attention to what's actually happening here in this human experience.
another another uh, passage from Sinaiticania. We can reach a certain understanding on a conceptual or intellectual level by reading about or listening to the teachings, but it is at an experiential level that we will find true understanding. We must penetrate the teaching by investigating what is happening in our own minds. By simple observation with a calm and aware mind, we will soon see the mind as nature, not I, not personal, not self. No one is there. The mind is a natural phenomenon. Only when you have this right view can you truly be aware and practice Vipassana meditation. You're practicing awareness to discover this nature. It may take a while to have the ability to reconcile your experience with this right view. But by being aware and investigating what is happening in your mind, you will begin to see the nature aspect of all experience. When, when you are truly aware, you're not focusing, yet you are aware of the objects. And the object is, is any experience, like a sensation, a sound, a mind, a mind state, a thought. Um, you're not focusing, yet you are aware of the objects. You do not need to know every detail of your experience. Just be aware and know what you are aware of. Ask the questions often. What am I aware of? What is my level of awareness? This will support continuity of awareness. Remember, objects are just objects, not personal, just nature. This is right view. Um, so, what he's, he's pointing to bringing in right view or right attitude to how we're approaching practice. Um, and it's actually the, our practice continually refines and cultivates right view. And it's, it's, a, it's when right view, right view or wise view with some of the translations, um, it's when that is actually fully cultivated or fully realized, that is when the level of, the level of, um, understanding or, or insight or wisdom around the nature of experience and the nature of suffering and, and how suffering is released. When that is matured, that is actually when, um, when the mind doesn't, isn't participating in the creation of suffering anymore and, and, and our minds, our minds um, can actually find the deepest kind of happiness and peace. Um, and there was a there's a passage there's a passage where that some, the sutta that I that I quoted from earlier about um, about views and not clinging to views um, there's there's another there's another sutta I don't have it with me today but there's another one in which um, a disciple of the Buddha is being questioned about, about views. Similarly, like, do you hold this kind of view or not? And 
And, and he says, no, no. Um, and, and then he, he says, he eventually says something like, uh, I hold the view that clinging to views causes suffering. Um, and that, that views are, are conditioned, views are inconstant, views are not a reliable source of happiness. Clinging to views causes suffering. Um, and they respond with, well, aren't you just hold, clinging to that view then? <laughs> and, and he says, he responds with, he responds with, when I, when I notice, when I see that I'm clinging and that it causes suffering, I let, I let go. So you don't actually have to hold it. Um, you don't, we're not actually clinging to right view um, when it's causing suffering. It's, it's, it points the way to actually releasing, releasing clinging to all views. Um, We have about 10 minutes. I wanted to see if there's any questions, comments. Open it up for discussion. Okay, thank you. Hi. Hi. Thank you. It's always amazing to see you. Um, I have a almost embarrassingly simple question. I think it comes up really often. Um, especially in inexperienced mm-hmm. um, practitioners, practitioners like me, when when I start to sense um, the mind mm-hmm. isn't me, the body is not, and I start to disidentify, I start to see, of course, all of these things that you were mentioning, you know, when the relationship comes, you know, basically any attempt to move forward in life and gain something from it is sort of destined, you know, it's sort of a fool's errand. (laughs) Um, I think this happens to a lot of folks. Then there's a paralysis Mm -hmm. um, because when the mind Mm -hmm. kind of gets on board with this idea, The entity still exists, and my sense is the entity is looking for guidance. Like, okay, now what? Mm. Um, It stands up, it walks out the door, and if it's not moving toward something pleasant or avoiding getting hit by a car, you know, what is the, what should it do? So it feels a little lost, <laughs> mm. and it leaves um, this particular form <laughs> feeling um, almost afraid to, to take any action. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for the thanks for the question or or comment. And um, um, I think what what comes up for me is how how wisdom and compassion and care um, are, are the kind of the motivating factors that come to the fore when, are, when the kind of the, the, the usual greed, aversion, delusion can start to, start to, to, to soften or fall away some. Um, the, so that when, when wisdom and compassion are are guiding, we may still do a lot of the same things in life. 
things that, that actually take care of ourselves and take care of other people in the world. And um, um, it's like, you know, we, we're being, like I've heard, I like the, the term being good stewards for this life. Um, um, so we're, it's not like, for some, actually for some people, it does, it does result in a major, major lifestyle change. Uh, some people, some people come to come to feel that, that or come to see that most of how they were orienting or most of what was motivating them before um, feels misaligned with some new understanding or some new knowing that they have, and so some people take a very different direction in life. Um, some people take it to the extreme of ordaining or something, um, of ordaining, um, yeah, um, but but. It doesn't necessarily mean that that we stop doing all the things that we're doing in our lives. Um, um, yeah, that. But that. But rather, I think what happens is that the the process, um, the kind of the awakening process, it starts to, it starts to purify where those intentions are coming from. So when there's more wisdom and more compassion, um, naturally coming. Uh, naturally present in our in our hearts and our minds, um, then that may actually give us some more of a discerning, more of a compass or a, a discernment around what what which of the things, which of the kind of the engagements or activities or areas of our life actually feel out of alignment, um, and then that's good information. We can see how we can, in a really caringly, compassionately way. Um, um, move towards greater alignment, um, but a lot of the th- a lot of the the things that we're normally doing in our lives that um, don't necessarily um, have to change because of that. Um, yeah, does that does that address some of the question that you had? Is there is there something, or is there a different piece? No, it really helps. Um, there's kind of a follow-on question uh-huh. to it, <laughs> which is that it feels that that implies that there is a goal. You know, if there's a wisdom that drives you naturally toward compassion, then um, it leads me to believe, for lack of better words, that there's a divine purpose, mm. um, some um mm presence that does have a goal Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I often often wonder what is that goal Mm -hmm. this all comes and goes and um what is the um having uh being good stewards for this life um Mm -hmm. what does that mean that divinity is trying to accomplish Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah yeah thanks for that thanks for that um one way that one way that I that I think about that is um, is that that compassion is actually an innate quality, um, but it's often covered over by by our delusion, by our our contraction, our our greed and aversion. Um, um, it's like. When when the one example in the in the Theravada, in the in the in the scriptures in the traditional teachings, um, when when the Buddha the story is that when the Buddha became awakened, when he became awakened and was released from suffering, um, 
he um, he was compelled to to teach to share so that he could help relieve the world's suffering um, and in the in the Mahayana tradition like in Tibetan and Zen Zen traditions and other Mahayana traditions uh, or actually Tibetan is Vajrayana but in the in in other non-Theravada lineages, they often have the bodhisattva ideal that uh, when one is fully awakened, um, instead of kind of releasing from from taking human birth again, um, there's the commitment to stay to stay embodied and stay um, to stay on the on the planet to to help other, to help all beings um, be relieved from suffering, to help all beings become free. Um, so, yeah, it it does it does point to. I think in the in the Buddhist teachings, it points to um, compassion and a wish to a wish to relieve suffering um, is actually the whole aim of of practice, um, and I think is is actually an innate natural quality when we do relieve our own suffering our nat- the natural response of our hearts is to care for and want to respond um you know to others to the suffering of others in a way that that also that relieves suffering for everybody yeah thanks thanks for that I have a really dorky question. Um, okay, so I wrote down in my notes, you said, uh, just k- kind of keep asking yourself, what am I aware of? Um, okay, this is so dorky. But if you have a, like, uh, like a, you have a disagreement or a bad interaction with somebody, and you're like, why? What happened there? What was, what was going on there for me? Mm-hmm. And so you go and, uh, like, you meditate, or you're sitting with it, going, mm-hmm. what am I aware of? What, what are you aware of? Like, if it's blind, if you're blind, it's a blind spot, why you were acting in that. And what, what, how do you practice with the object of asking yourself, what are you aware of? Mm-hmm. If it's just, like, a kind of a stew of, like, I don't know what that was, I don't know why I did it, I don't know. I mean, there's raft, like Gil says, recognize, allow. Um, uh-huh feel, tease apart, but it's there, like, I'm, sometimes I'm totally blind in my blindness, I can't, can't even tell what it is, and I'll try to go into my body and be like, oh, it feels bad, mm-hmm. like, a, you know, there's a contraction in my body, mm-hmm. but I can't quite, like, I don't know how to be with what I, what, ask, if I ask myself, what am I aware of, mm-hmm. and it's just a mess, Yeah. what is, do you have any suggestions of how to be with it, 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's great. Thanks for the question. That's very familiar. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, sometimes when we're when we're observing experience, it's like it can feel kind of clear what's being what we're noticing, and other times it's like um, it's it's just intense. It's it's it it hurts. It's unpleasant. It's painful, and it's kind of a like you said, like a stew or like a flurry or um, and that's that's great to just know that. That's great to just know that. Um, and and you did you I, would, I wanted to point out that you did. Um, um, point to what you were aware of in that in that which is like the there's contraction in the body um so that's that's what that's something that you're knowing then is the, is the body feels uncomfortable and tight um it sounded like you you're also you were also recognizing that your mind was thinking about something that had happened and being unsure about what had happened so that just recognizing the process of thinking about that and um and maybe that maybe that that's unpleasant, and that there's un- there's there's unpleasantness in the body. Um, that's that's great mindfulness right there to just know that that there's the thinking about that, know that there's some tightness in the body, or even to just know that it feels messy, but it doesn't feel that clear what it is. Just knowing that, like that, that's a that's a great thing to just to know, and you don't have to try to make it more clear in that moment. Um, sometimes just knowing that it feels unclear, like that's the experience you're having, and just letting that be okay and recognizing that, then you are being mindful of of, of what's happening for you. It's that it, that it feels kind of unclear. And sometimes, oftentimes, it feels kind of foggy or unclear. And then I recognize that I have that I'm believing that it should be clear. <laughs> so I'm like trying to see it in a way that it feels clear. But then when I remember, oh, it, it just feels foggy or unclear, that you are recognizing what's happening already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great. Thanks for the question. I think we're, we're at time, unless there is any burning, burning desire questions. Okay, great. Well, thank you all for your practice and for your attention. Nice to be with you and hope to see you again soon.